0: Today, we're talking about unity. Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 through 22. I'm going to read the text to you in just a moment. But what Paul says in this passage in Ephesians 2 is all about unity. And what he's saying is, is that we are God's new community. And he calls us to display unity. We are God's new community and we are to show unity. Paul is all about community and the unity of community and how we are God's new community and we are to show the world out there, the big community out there, what community is supposed to really look like. Now, before I read the text, I want to tell you a story about a college student. He was low on funds. He was a clever young man and he he figured out a way to make some money. And he happened to be at a Christian college and at this Christian college, there there was this uh, a lot of energy and and discussion going on and sometimes even some hostility because they were christian kids at this christian university and they were all from different denominations and different traditions and and there started to be a little bit of a of a of a uh, debate going on about what is the right thing to believe. And, and you know, you believe this, we believe this. And so he hoped to make some money on all of this energy flowing around the campus. So he created this T-shirt. He designed this T-shirt. And on the back of the T-shirt was this question, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian are you? And then it had all these little boxes and all these different kinds of Christians, Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Southern Baptist, Free Will Baptist, American Baptist, Lutheran, Missouri Synod, Lutheran, Wisconsin Synod, Lutheran, ELCA, United Methodist, Free Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Nazarene, Dispensational, Ultra-Dispensational, Covenant Theologian, Calvinist, Five-Point Calvinist, Four-Point Calvinist, Three-Point Calvinist, Arminian, Wesleyan, Pentecostal, First Wave, Charismatic, Second Wave, Neo-Charismatic, Third Wave, Church of God, Church of God in Christ, Church of Christ, Christian Church, And then down at the bottom, there was this little box that simply said, plain old Christian. I like that, don't you? Don't you just want to be plain old Christian? I mean, why do we have to divide? Why do we have to categorize and label people like that? Why can't we just be plain old Christians? Let's talk about unity and how we are God's new community to show unity to the world. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's pick it up in in verse 11. Therefore, remember formerly that you who are Gentiles. Now, he says therefore, and it comes right off the the heels of what he said in verses 1 through 10. He's talking about how we're made alive in Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. We're, We're God's Workmanship were his works of art created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Didn't Greg Martin do a great job last Sunday uh, preaching and, and actually constructing something while wow, he was? I could never do that. I can't multitask. There's no way I could talk to you and be constructing something at the same time. But Greg, he, he pulled that off last Sunday. We are God's works of art, we are his construction projects created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Saved by grace through faith, not by works, but once we're saved by grace through faith, then if our faith is, is real, it, it will bring good works. And God created us for this. And then he says in verse 11, Therefore, since all of this is true, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Now stop right there. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jewish people and Gentile people. The Jewish people had the tradition going all the way back to Moses. You remember in the old Testament that, that they were to circumcise all the males. And so they were called the circumcision. And then he he says, you who are uncircumcised, who's that? That's the Gentiles. So remember Paul's writing to the people who live in the western side of Turkey that that area around Ephesus and they were they were Asians they were uh you know Romans they were Greeks they were non-Jews and there was some hostility and differences between the Gentiles and the Jews okay So remember formally that you who are Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Now remember, we're talking about unity here. And notice all of these terms that, that are not unity. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I tell you, this is so practical for us today. So many people do not believe in God or believe in Jesus because they see the disunity, the, the lack of harmony... The division and hostility among Christian people even towards one another. And they say, look at these Christians. They can't even get along with one another. Why would I believe in their God? Why would I believe in in their Jesus? Look how they fight. Look how they separate. Look how they argue with each other. Why would I want that? Why would I believe in that? Remember, Jesus prayed in John 17 that we might be one so that the world would believe. See, unity is vital to our witness. Jesus says it. Unity is vital to our witness. It's vital for our credibility. Christians should be known for being uniters and includers and peacemakers. And obviously, this is not the case frequently. Something is desperately wrong with the church. Why are churches known for division and hostility and all these things. Well, it was a problem even in the early church for those first followers of Jesus. You see, unity is hard. Division is easy. Unity is hard. Division is easy. Think about it. It's easier to get a divorce than it is to work through your problems. It's easier to call people names and assume they're stupid and they're evil or they're crazy, rather than listen to them and maybe actually learn something. And anybody who is different from you is automatically suspect and even a little frightening. And it's just easier for you to stay in your comfort zone where people think like you, look like you, and act like you. When the, the Apostle Paul wrote this, the big deal in the church was Jews and Gentiles. I mean, imagine. Imagine you're a Jew. And, and, and you and your Jewish family have come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the promised Messiah of Old Testament prophecies. But you and your family, you're Jewish, and you now you're Jewish Christians. Because you believe that Jesus is the Christ. And but you're Jewish. You know, you know about Moses, you know the Ten Commandments, you've memorized a lot of the Old Testament, you know a whole lot more than the, the Ten Commandments. You know, you've memorized most of Leviticus. And even though you're now you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, you still have a lot of the customs and habits and traditions and cultures of what it means to be a Jewish person, a Jewish family. Now imagine: here you are, a Jew. And you're sitting in the church there in Ephesus with a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jews. They're Greeks, they're Asians, Romans, whatever. And they too believe in Jesus, just like you believe in Jesus. And in fact, so many of them have been coming to Christ that there are more of those Gentiles than there are of you Jews. And here you are sitting in the same service, singing songs, to Jesus. If you were a Jew, it would have been very tempting for you to look down your nose at these Gentiles. These ignorant Gentiles, they don't even know who Moses is. They don't do any of the customs and traditions that we have done forever. And if you were a Gentile, it would have been easy to look at those uppity, exclusive like Jews. And so Paul tells them, he says, Hey, I want you to know you're all one in Christ. You're part of the same family now. You're God's new community. So show it. Show the unity in your community. Which begs the question, I have several questions for us this morning, and the first one is this. What is unity? When we say God wants us to have unity, what what is unity? Well, a couple of things. First of all, unity is more than union. Unity is more than union. You could take two cats, tie their tails together, and hang them over a clothesline. Now I don't know why you'd want to do that. But but if you did, if you took two cats, tied their tails together, put them over a clothesline, that would be union. But I guarantee you, you would not have unity. So unity is more than union. Unity is also more than unison. Think of your favorite music group. I mean, unless it's a soloist, just one singer. I mean, if it's a group of any kind, especially if it's a choir, but even if it's a band, you know, a beautiful song is not a, usually a song sung in unison. If every person sings the same note, it gets kind of boring. But but what you need is harmony. You need people singing different notes along that chord, and and, and it all comes together in harmony. That's where the beauty is. And so don't think of, of unity as, as being unison. No, no, we need all kinds of different notes. And then also, unity is more than uniformity. We're not trying to make everyone like wear the same uniform. We're not, we're not trying to make everybody... Look alike and talk alike and think alike and dress alike. That's not really unity. In a few weeks from now, we're going to get to Ephesians 4, where Paul talks about our unity in Christ, but he also talks about our diversity in Christ. He, he, he says in Ephesians 4, hopefully you've already been reading through Ephesians several times, but he talks about how God has given us all different gifts and abilities. And there's God delights in diversity. So don't think of unity as a cookie-cutter approach where we all have to be exactly alike. Now, you know what real unity is? Unity is love in action. Unity is love in action. Paul writes about this constantly in almost all of his letters. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's unity. He says over in Philippians 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ I mean, really, have you ever tried that in a group of three or four? Have you ever tried that in a group of 15 or 20? Have you ever even tried that in your marriage? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's hard. And don't imagine it was any easier in the first century than it is in the 21st century. And yet Paul and Jesus say it pointedly and repeatedly. You are God's new community and he wants you to show unity. You are God's new community. You're the family of God now. And He wants you to live in harmony. Yes, wonderful diversity. But in the midst of unity. So the question becomes, if we're God's new community and we're called to show unity, then then here's the second question. Why is unity so hard? Why is it so hard? We've kind of answered that a, a bit already. But think about it some more. Look at what Paul says here in Ephesians 2. He says that you Gentiles were, look at all these exclusive words. He says you were separate, you were excluded, you were uncircumcised, you were foreigners, you were two groups, Jews and Gentiles. Talk about identity politics. And there was all kinds of hostility, he even uses the word hostility between them. They had all kinds of walls and barriers between them. Almost sounds like today, doesn't it? I mean, think of it. Think of even today. There's racial hostility. There's political hostility. There's religious hostility happening today. I'll never forget. This was years ago now. A pastor friend of mine, he, he told me, Greg, when I became a pastor of this church here in South Carolina, the leaders of the church told me after I'd been here for a little while, pastor, the blacks have their church and we whites have our church. And we want you to know That we don't want any black people coming into our church. And just so you know, Pastor, if you would ever baptize a black person in our baptistry, no white person would ever be baptized in it again. And I remember I was in utter shock. And, And I was like, how can you pastor that church? I could never pastor that church one of the first things I would do is go out and win some black person to Jesus and baptize him in that baptistry. Because that is, that is sin. That is just sinful. It's outright sin. And yet there are many Christians who name the name of Jesus who practice that kind of racism. I couldn't believe it. And don't kid yourself. Racism is still alive and well in many parts of our country today it's an ugly stain and it's just sinful and then there's political hostility i can hardly watch the news anymore i mean isn't it so obvious that one news network is out to crucify trump i mean that that's just i mean just it's all about we're going to crucify trump and then the other network is out to worship trump i mean it's just It's just so blatantly obvious. And the hostility between the two, you know, please, as I implore you, don't spend hours and hours sitting before your television watching that kind of news, getting news. It's really propaganda and you're getting all riled up and hostile towards people. If you really want to make a difference in this world, turn off your TV, open up your Bible and pray. You don't get sucked into this identity politics. Remember Ephesians 1? Where should you find your identity? In Christ. In Christ. Your core identity is in Christ. You remember? remember Ephesians 1? You're chosen. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're in on God's secret. This is your fundamental core identity. You say, I I don't remember, Greg, what was God's secret? God's secret is, is found in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of His will, the secret, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. Here it is, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Wow. That's the secret you and I are in on one day Jesus is going to come again and He's going to reconcile everything back and, and, and unify everything back better than it was originally. Create a new heaven and a new earth and everything will be perfectly unified and harmonized. And you and I have the privilege of being in on that secret and participating in it even now and in on God's plan now to start bringing what unity we can to this world even now. All you have to do is go over to Revelation 21 and 22 and, and read more what that looks like. So don't get sucked into identity politics where you put everybody in a group. Oh, you're white. Oh, you're black. Oh, you're Asian. Oh, you're a man. You're a woman. Oh, you're this. You're that. Oh, you must be oppressed. You must be the oppressor. Oh, you're, you must be evil. You must be good because you're in this, this group. It's it's silliness. It's craziness. And it's just it's evil and it's wrong. Don't get sucked into that. You see people as individuals created in the image of God. Don't see them as people groups. See them as individuals. Created in the image of God. See yourself, if you're a believer in Christ, as in Christ. And your identity Yes, yes, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm white. I'm an American. I, uh, you know, I have all this, these are all layers to my identity. But my fundamental core identity is I am in Christ. I am chosen. I am adopted. I am redeemed. I am in on God's secret. I am a child of God. I am in His family. That is my co- fundamental core identity. And then that. Flavors and influences and impacts all the other layers to who I am. You see, don't 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 play into this identity politics. So, and so realize unity is hard work. There's the world, there's the flesh, there's the devil. It's all mentioned right there at the beginning of Ephesians 2. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil, all fighting against unity. The devil is delighted when you fight with your spouse. Satan is salivating when you gossip and gripe and whine and complain about the church. Unity is hard. That's why Paul says, beginning in chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It takes effort. So here's the third question What's the basis of our unity? What's the basis? Well, as followers of Jesus, we're called to love everybody, even our enemies. It doesn't matter if they are Christian or not. They might be atheists. They don't believe in any kind of God. They might be of another faith, another religion. They, they, they might be so different from us in so many ways. And we're called in that sense to have unity with everybody, to call to love everybody. But there is a special Christian unity that only Christians can have that's based on Jesus, where we can come together and we worship together and we pray together because we have Christ in common. It's based on Jesus alone. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Verse 13, he says, you were brought near by the blood of Christ. In verse 14, he says, He Himself is our peace. Verse 15, there's one new humanity created out of the two groups. In verse 16, He's reconciled both of us through the cross. The basis of our unity is Jesus, who He is and what He has done for us, brought near by the blood of Christ. See, so this is the basis of our unity. So think about this. If you have been brought near by the blood of Christ and I have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that brings us near to one another. If He is your peace and He is my peace, we should have peace with each other. If we have been two groups and all of whatever identity politics we're playing, but now you you have come and you're one with Christ, and I've come and I'm one with Christ, now we're one new humanity. In verse 16, if you're reconciled to, to Christ through the cross, and I'm reconciled to Christ through the cross, then we should be reconciled to one another through the cross. See, our unity is based on Jesus. This is the hope. Of the world, so number four, here's a fourth question: How can we demonstrate our unity? Okay, so 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 we've learned all of this now about unity, but how can we demonstrate it in practical ways? Just just four four quick ways, all kinds of ways, but 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 four key ways that I want to mention here, and they all come from Ephesians because Paul is talking about the church, God's new community, and the unity that we should be displaying. This is the, really the major theme of Ephesians. So so listen to this. Here's one practical way you can contribute to unity. Here it is. Paul says it in Ephesians 4.32. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. That helps unity. Rather than staying offended, rather than staying angry, you forgive. How do you do that? You realize how much God has forgiven you, and that helps you forgive others. I dare say if you're having trouble forgiving someone... Chances are it's because you don't understand how much God has forgiven you. Do you need to forgive someone? Is there someone you need to ask forgiveness from? Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. The second way to demonstrate unity is to forge meaningful relationships. You forge meaningful relationships. Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, he says, don't lie to each other, speak truthfully to each other. You're members of the same body, the body of Christ. When we get to chapter 4, we're going to see that Paul is all about forging deep, authentic relationships where we know the truth about one another. That promotes unity. So you forgive as Christ has forgiven you. You forge meaningful relationships. Thirdly, you fight for unity in the church. You fight for unity. And that might sound strange, but but, but look how Paul puts it. He says in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul is saying here, don't take it for granted. And that Greek word for make every effort, it, it has to do with eagerness, a great, a great desire. You're willing to fight for the unity in the church. Again, you have the world, the flesh, the devil tempting us. Uh, to, To be biased and arrogant and selfish and divisive. And so unity is something you have to fight for. You have to fight against your own arrogance. Fight against your own impatience. Fight against your own selfishness. The easiest thing in the world is to delude yourself into thinking that you are so smart and you are so holy and everybody else is stupid and immature and wrong. It's a constant battle. So you've got to keep fighting for unity in the church. And then finally he says, find your primary identity in Christ. Before you think of yourself as white or black or male or female or a good student or a not so good student, you think of yourself as in Christ. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are redeemed. You're in on God's secret. You're part of His family. And whatever else you are and whatever else is going on in your life, First and most fundamentally, you are in Christ. You are redeemed. You're adopted. You're in His family. You're a child of God. And that impacts everything else that's going on in your life. Amen? So I want to I conclude with this. It's a silly poem, but, but it makes a great point. So just listen to this. It's called Ten Little Christians. Ten little Christians came to church all the time. One fell out with a preacher, and then there were nine. Nine little Christians stayed up late. One overslept on Sunday, then there were eight. Eight little Christians on their way to heaven. One took the low road, and then there were seven. Seven little Christians chirping like chicks. One didn't like the music, then there were six. Six little Christians seemed very much alive. One got travelitis, and then there were five. Five little Christians pulling for heaven's shore. One stopped to rest a while and then there were four. Four little Christians, each busy as a bee. One got his feelings hurt, and then there were three. Three little Christians couldn't decide what to do. One couldn't have his way, and then there were two. Two little Christians weren't having much fun, so one left, and then there was one. One little Christian can't do much, tis true, but he brought a friend, and then there were two. Two little Christians, each one, one more. You add them up, and two plus two equal four. Four little Christians worked early and late. Each of them brought one, and then there were eight. Eight little Christians, if they double as before, in just seven Sundays, we have 1,024. In this jingle, there is a lesson true. You belong either to the building or the wrecking crew.